Aaron, Polly, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. Hey, you know, I just want to I just want to start the podcast today to uh, you know send all of our you know positive thoughts and well wishes to Wheel of Fortune host Pat Sajak. Um, he had what? A, a, yeah he had an obstruction in his small bowel. Uh, Thursday and went into emergency surgery. Uh, according to all news reports, surgery went well and and he uh, is recovering and should be back at the job soon. I just want to say, Pat Sajak bought a bowel. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I really thought you were going to go with a full of shit joke. <laughs> was there was there really any truth to that story? Yeah, or no, were you no, just it's, that's, that's the actual truth. Is the actual truth. <laughs> Pat Sajak had emergency uh, bowel surgery, and I shared that joke this morning with my wife, and she's like, "Don't don't do that on your show." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh no, no, no! This is gold. I, I've got to." <laughs> Which means Aaron's been thinking about this for the last like three four hours, well, you know, waiting I, for this opportunity to tell. The and joke. here's the important thing: we're recording at eight a.m. on Saturday morning, and I have been awake since three a.m. as have I have been all week long, and that's how I have put this time to use. Other people might, you know, log in and do some work, you know, for, for the office, you know, maybe do a project around the house. No, no, I, uh, I'm ri- I'm writing five star quality comedy for this podcast because that's the level of effort I put into this show for you, dear listener. So please go to Apple Podcasts and give us that five star review. <laughs> I, I don't feel like that's inspiring anyone to do that. <laughs> it's inspiring me to give us a negative review, and I'm on the podcast. <laughs> Hard unsubscribe. <laughs> I'm going to unsubscribe to myself. <sighs> Good stuff. <sighs> well, on that note of hilarity, <laughs> let's talk about something a little unfunny, Aaron. It's not funny at all. Oh, okay. Watchmen. I don't know. There was somewhere where I was going with that, but it didn't work, so I just went with it. See, you need to get up um, three and, and write your write your comedy, Paul. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Um, instead of doing this running thing, yeah, running. That you know, hard pass on the running. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I I got caught up on the HBO show Watchmen. Uh, the, the first three episodes have now aired uh, at the time of this recording. Um, Aaron, you also got caught up. I did. And I have been reading nothing but positive reviews, even though the I think the ratings have been, you know, relatively OK for the show. I, I think it's um, it's dropped in viewership a little bit week over week. But, I, you know, I, I don't think it's an easily accessible program either, especially as it goes on. The first episode was a little what we call new reader friendly, um, but, but I would say the second and third episodes not so much. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm all caught up. And Aaron, what are your thoughts on Watchmen? I was, you know, I don't, I don't read ahead on this stuff. Like I don't read. Uh, critics have received the first six episodes. So that oh, they can, okay. they can, I did not know that. yeah. And, and so that they've received the first six episodes. And so I have been reviewing, uh, uh, avoiding Re- all of that commentary because, you know, I want to form my own opinions and I don't want to get spoiled because, you know, this is, this is brave new territory. Right. Um, so I was, I have been trying to figure out, is this a sequel to the movie or is this a sequel to the graphic novel? 
And I feel like the third episode makes it really clear yes. that it's a sequel to the graphic novel. Um, yeah. What I read online definitely said it was to the graphic novel. And, and I, I was so surprised to see Gene Smart, uh, it, you know, yeah. in, in the show. And I was like, well, I, I, I like Gene Smart, you know, uh, and I love the character she's playing, and I love that you know she she was Julie Specter. What was her last name in the in the graphic novel? Uh, it wasn't Lori. Yeah, Lori. Um, was it oh Lori? Silk Specter. Silk, Silk Specter. Yeah, and her name yeah. was and I forget her last name, but she was Lori. And uh, you know who dates Doctor Manhattan, leaves Doctor Manhattan for uh, uh, Dan and Lake. Yeah. yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> In this show, she has taken Edward Blake's last name, you know, because she's she finds out at the end of Watchmen that she is the daughter of the comedian, and I love that she's taken his last name. I just I, I just think that's a really nuanced sort of turn uh, that you know I just never expected. And there's this beautiful shot while she's you know talking to the senator, um, who's you know kind of the mission giver <laughs> in, in in this episode. Yeah. Um, with you've got the graphic novel images of the Watchmen behind her, mm-hmm. and with her play, her, her you know Gene Smart's image, so, you know where the uh, where Silk Spectre would be, and I'm just like, this is so cool. I mean, it, it is so cool. Um, there are so many elements to this show that that it really demonstrates some really deep world building that. Uh, uh, the writing team did to to take the Watchmen story thirty years in the future. And I'm just getting a big kick out of it. I really like this show. Yeah, you know the first episode. <clears throat> honestly enough, even though the first episode had, had Don Johnson in it, who who did a, a really good job, I would say um, has been the weakest of the three. Actually, well, uh, this and it's not bad. It was yeah. just it, it like the second episode definitely picked up, and then the third episode with like the, you know. Um, they they play very coy, and it's this is a Damon Lindelof, J.J. Abrams nonsense thing, um, you know that that they always like play coy on the mystery and the you know the the what do they call it the black box, right. you know viral marketing and crap, and they're like oh well it's inspired by the Watchmen oh it takes place in the world of Watchmen it's not a direct sequel no it's a direct sequel absolutely um, but you don't really realize that until episode three. Yeah, you know, up until then, there's you know vague references to Doctor Manhattan, um, and and the world and the squid, but ultimately, episode three is where it really ramps up as a true sequel to Watchmen with um, Sally, not Sally, Sally was the mom. We Sally just said Jupiter was the mom. Yeah, um, we just said her name, Lori. Julie. Oh, uh, yeah. Lori. Sorry, I don't Lori. know why I keep going to Julie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, where Lori. Uh, you know, uh, joins the the show as as kind of one of the leads. Like it, the the show shifts its point of view to, to really her does. point of view. Yeah, because you, um, you've you've had sister uh, sister Knight has been yeah. the the sort of POV character, and we who's really fantastic sh- by the way. Regina yeah. King is fantastic in the yeah. role. Yeah, love it. Yeah, playing Angela Adair, uh, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy her, and I enjoy her husband too. I mean, I, I love the the relationship they've got, um, but. The the shift to uh, Gene Smart's character was really welcome. Uh, not that yeah. I have not enjoyed the Angela Adair character, but I really enjoyed getting to see the world through her eyes and mm-hmm. the sort of the dim view that the that the uh, FBI has on Tulsa's uh, uh, police strategy, where the police have taken on masks 
because, you know, uh, uh, Lori says to uh, Angela Adair, you know, how do you tell the difference between a vigilante and a cop and a mask? And she goes, I don't know how. I don't either. And yeah. I, <laughs> but vigilantes are against the law. And, you know, we get to see a vigilante takedown, you know, earlier in the episode that the FBI takes care of. I just I, – I, I like this world. Uh, I yeah, wouldn't well, live and, in this world, but I'm interested and yeah. intrigued by this world. Well, and one of the things you mentioned about um, Lori taking on uh, her father's name is that that's kind of one of the, the aspects of her character in this show that is prevalent, which is – she likes to tell jokes, right? Um, and 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 there's a, a rather you know in poor taste joke, much like the comedian, right? Um, that that's kind of at the heart of the episode, and so it's you know it's it's a very interesting take on the character. Um, I I genuinely am enjoying it. I think the acting is fantastic. I think the writing is smart. Um, I like um, Jeremy Irons as Adrian yeah. Veidt. God, yes. Um, and you know, there's this mystery. Even uh, this, so Adrian Veidt, you know, in the first episode, it's introduced that he has these, these like numbskull companions in his mansion. And you find out in the third episode that he, you know, he has, there's a, someone who's referred to as the game warden, that he's basically on house arrest. Right. Um, but I would venture to say um, that there's more to it, especially oh, yeah. in, in the third episode. And if I had a guess, I would say Adrian Veidt is on house arrest on Mars. Yeah. Um, you know, because he, he seems to be building a, sp- a spacesuit, you know, um, yeah. to, to, to try to escape his house arrest. Right. Uh, but you know, he's, he's do- given, if he was on earth, I think he would just be able to get a spacesuit. Right. Um, so I, but he's trying to build it out of household items. And I think it's because he's on Mars. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with your assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, in the episode two, we learned that his numbskull companions are clones. Um, yeah. You know, and, and one it, of them is played by the guy, the lead character from um, Sleepy Hollow. And I asked Aaron this week, I'm like, did you ever watch Sleepy Hollow? Because um, he's unrecognizable in this role. Uh, but I, I was just surprised to see it, to see well, him in the show. And I love how, you know, he's got this, what seems to be an endless supply of these two clones, a male clone yeah. and a female clone. And he just, you know, he does these experiments and it will kill a, one of the clones. And he's like, okay, you know, uh, take him down to the basement. We'll soon have need of him. You know, soon yeah. we'll be able to put that the, that to use. And I'm like, ooh, what's he going to do with all these dead bodies? But, you know, he writes this play, which is around Dr. Manhattan, and has his characters act him out. And so the, the actor who's playing, you know... Uh, pre-transformation Dr. Manhattan goes into the, the, the little chamber for to be assaulted by the radiation and uh, you know, sets him on fire <laughs> and cooks him alive for, for the play. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whew. Adrian Veidt, little little rough on his actors. <laughs> I really hope they release this on DVD by Christmas because I would like to watch it and I don't have HBO. I think Christmas is going to be a little early for you. I think you're probably looking at spring. Yeah. Um, because I mean, it's, we're only on episode three and I believe it's like 12 or 13 episodes. Yeah. I could be wrong. Um, I don't actually don't know how many episodes it is. No idea, but my guess is 13. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm genuinely enjoying the show. I am looking forward to seeing where it goes. Um, you know, if I had one qualm, it would be this. Actually, it's, it looks like it's nine episodes. That's weird. Maybe that's maybe only nine have been announced so far. Um, but the the only thing I would say is the same thing I said when we first talked about it is that sometimes I have to get out of my own headspace 
because it very much is a different sequel than the <laughs> Doomsday Clock sequel that I'm. Oh reading. yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you've got all these different competing stories in your head. Yeah, um, because Doomsday Clock, like you know, Dan and Lori lived a happy life. They adopted right. a child. Blah 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 blah. You know, um, Adrian Veidt, you know, came to the DC universe, but yeah, you know, like it's it's very much a a very different take on it. Um, and especially, you know, yeah. it, it did like probably out on a regular schedule. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, you know, Lori is, is much less damaged in the, uh, the doomsday right. clock than she is in, in the TV show. So exactly. I just have to think differently. Uh, and if it, it wouldn't be much of an issue, normally I'm able to separate it, but because of the simultaneous nature of the, the publications, um, because doomsday clock is still a very active thing. Right. Um, it's still fresh in my mind. I wonder, you know, we of course are immersed in, in, you know, the Watchmen graphic novel, the before Watchmen prequels, the Doomsday Clock. Uh, and we know all about Alan Moore and how he has had his name taken off the project, you know, so he is no longer given credit uh, because he doesn't want it for Watchmen. Um, and so, you know, every time I see the credits come up on the HBO show and it says, you know, based on characters co-created, you know, uh, by uh, what uh, uh, David Gibbons. Dave Gibbons. Yeah, Dave mm-hmm. Gibbons. Dave Gibbons. And, uh, but it doesn't list the other co-creator. And so I just wonder those people who are not, you know, just stewing and percolating in comic book information as we are. Uh, you know, if they are like, well, who's the other co-creator? <laughs> you know, I'm shouldn't sure there be more than care. one? Yeah. You know, I, I would say one thing that um, I think HBO, because right now this is airing in the same time slot previously held by Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's the right choice because it, I think it's too niche of an entertainment um, of, a, of a show, given that it relies yeah. on knowledge of the comic book. You know, it, it mentions really Doctor Manhattan dropping, it mentions I, the squid dropping, and all that stuff. It really, it really assu- to my from my viewing perspective, it feels like it assumes that you have read that book, not yeah. that you've watched like, the, not movie. the movie. Yeah, that you've, you've read, read the, the book. book. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I don't. My wife has ha- you know, wants to watch it now, and so uh, we've got three episodes. Oh no, Aaron, now you're stuck. <laughs> well, and you know, I said, I said, I'm going to watch it as it comes out because we're going to talk about it on the show. But you know, I'm happy to watch it again with you. But I'm really curious when she does watch it, how she responds to because you know it's so Easter egg laden uh, that you know I just I don't know how somebody who doesn't have a, an understanding of Watchmen the the graphic novel is going to respond to the show. And so well, I like agree. Said, I think everything about be, episode three. Lori changing her name and yeah. and the jokes and all that stuff. Like, I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. Because to your point, I think it does seem very niche. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have not watched. I've got it recorded. But have you watched his dark materials that debuted on Monday? I thought it debuts next week. No, no it debuted, it debuted last, last week. week. Yeah. Oh, no, I have not seen it yet. OK. I, I do want to see it. I, I, it's on my DVR. You know, it's got it's got great big bears fighting each other. And I'm always down for that. Yeah, I know it's based on a series of novels or maybe just a novel. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'd like to check it out. It looks good. I like the I, cast in it. Yeah, I know very little about that property. So, Yeah, me too, which Interesting. is, you know, to a certain extent, good. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah it's a, a property that was written to be the anti uh, 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 the Narnia books. What yeah, are Chronicles those? of Narnia. Yeah, it was basically made to be the anti that. A very strong atheist that was trying to, you know, 
counter the religious messages of Narnia. Yeah. Hmm. The two writers actually knew each other and they had a rivalry. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I know, like I, said, I, know, I know very little about it. You've, you've educated me, Wayne. Yeah. And I know very little about the actual story or the books, just the history of writers. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I'll check out the first episode of the show. Yeah. Um, but we, this was also a pretty decent-sized comic book week. We're focusing on on some of the key players, but a big, big comic book week, especially from DC. DC, like, kicked the shit out of my wallet this week. Yeah, it was, it was a rough um, week. I had a $40 comic book week. Yeah. Um, but we're going to start with some non-DC books first, and, and we're going to start with a book, um, Undiscovered Country. Uh, I had mentioned now, is this the one week. with the whales? I can't remember. Undiscovered Country? Yeah. Is this the one with the whales or where we go searching no. for Spock? No, that, is this? that was Journey Home. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, just, I, I get confused. Journey Home was the one with the whales. Actually, there are <laughs> is some Is this the one where Spock one? dies? <laughs> <laughs> there are some fishy things in this book, so <laughs> you're, you're not technically wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> um, so co-written by Scott Snyder and Charles Sewell. Um, with art by Giuseppe Cumanculli and Danielle Orlandini. Yeah. This is um, a hot looking book. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, cause I'm familiar with Giuseppe's, uh, art from, he, he was the, from Spider-Man. Yeah. And I gotta say his art is totally different in this book. Totally different than it was on like superior Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, I just, I was like, whoa, okay. This is like, n- like I, I was like, is this. Is this Giuseppe Camilcoli? Well, you know, um, there, there are a couple of, uh, you know, splash pages where I'm like, is that Olivier Copiel? <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful, yeah. beautiful art. Yeah. One of the um, things I really look at when I'm judging art is do the characters all look the same with just different hair? And that's not the case here. Each person has its own unique face. That's, yeah, yeah that's a huge boon for me when it comes to art. Well, so Wayne, um, we all three read this book this week. I, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And usually, when I'm reading books that have the all of that information at the end of it, the uh, the writer's notes and things, I tend to not read those. This was a book where I kind of needed all of that, and I mm-hmm. read through all of it. Uh, I had a problem with some of the premises of the book. And the writer's explanation of how they got there actually really helped me with uh, accepting some of the premises. So, Wayne, Uh, you had made a comment earlier in the week that you were not wild about what you'd heard about the book. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, it was getting uh, rave reviews everywhere. But the idea of America walling itself off, I expected – what I kind of expected the book to be was just one thin political – you know, Trump related message of, you know, segregating the US off because of the Trump. And that's kind of what I expected out of it. And I'm the kind of person where even if I agree with something, I don't want to be preached to. And I expected it to be a political preach to book. And it wasn't that at all. And reading kind of their, how they came up with their ideas too, it made sense where they were coming from. I have a hard time with the whole premise of the country completely cutting itself off because of how the economy of the world is right now. No country could do that. Mm-hmm. But then they give their their timeline of how it came to that. And you can kind of see how 
that global economy had already broken down. Yeah. So you mentioned the essays at the back of the book. And I got to say, you know, I, I did enjoy the book. I enjoyed the book quite a bit. Um, I enjoyed the world building, even though this may be an odd thing to say. I am not a fan of like the Mad Max interpretation of the future. So when I saw that in this book, I'm like, eh. <laughs> but, you know, like, but it, it does seem like they're going to have different areas of the country with different aspects, kind of like an old man Logan um, kind of take on on traveling across the United States. So, you know, even though that's only one aspect, um, it's just not for some reason, it's it it's always that interpretation of the future has never really connected with me. But the essays at the back of the book, and this is typical when they are well written or, you know, yes, sometimes I skip them, but I read every word of because there's multiple essays um, in the back of the book. And I loved every one. They were my favorite part of the book. Um, really? I, I, I loved reading about how they connected over running because actually when I met Scott Snyder, um, what, I don't know, like a year or two ago, I talked to him about running because Charles Sewell was also there and they ran around um, D.C., which he specifically references in this book. And I remember talking to him about running around D.C. and the National Mall and how cool it was. Um and so, like, I really enjoyed reading that part of the book. I enjoyed hearing about how it came together and the, the friends they made and the research that they did. I love that shit. And, and then they went into the logo design. I'm like, ah, I don't care. And then I flipped back. I'm like, yeah, let me read it. And I thought that was interesting. And then they talked about the cover creation. I'm like, eh, let me read that. And I thought that was interesting. <laughs> so I was like, I really loved these essays. Like, I, I I don't know that they can continue it into every book because now it feels like I've been told every single aspect. <laughs> um, but I, I certainly enjoyed it in, in this issue. Um, yeah, I uh, wanted it for issue one. And the timeline that they gave really helped me with the book. Yeah, and it seems like that'll flesh out more over the, the, the coming books because it stops at seven years prior to the walling, right, or the ceiling. Um, so it, it starts at minus eight and then kind of goes to minus seven uh, years before the ceiling, which is, you know, what they so for anyone who's not familiar with the premise of this book, um, in the year 2039 or 2029, um, the United States, a, a, as a result of one of, I mean, many things, but China called in its outstanding U.S. currency debts. The U.S. couldn't afford to pay it. It immediately devalued the dollar, um, inflation, global recessions. Um, and it eventually, we don't know the full story, but eventually led to the United States sealing itself off from the rest of the world, not just with a wall, but also an air wall. Um, so, like, you can't penetrate the airspace. And, you know, we're dealing with science fiction here. It's not like we can, like, put a glass dome above the United States yet. Um, but essentially, that's that's what happens in this book. And this is 30 years later where uh, they have received kind of a uh, – there is a, a global epidemic because the remaining countries have kind of turned into super countries, right, superpowers. And there, there's a war going on between the superpowers, and because of – as a, the result of chemical warfare, they've basically created a global epidemic, and they get a, uh, a call from inside the borders of the United States that says, we have a cure for basically the shit that you just created. And so they, they, they have sent in a team into the, the United States. Uh, they, they found um, – they, they have somehow been let in by forces unknown 
into the United States to to find this cure. And that's that's where the story picks up. You know, Paul, you connected with the the book through, you know, Scott Snyder's essay on running uh, yeah. with Charles Sewell. And, you know, I am reminded of uh, my uh, appointment with my podiatrist when he was uh, asking me about my uh, orthotics that he had made for me. And he's like, well, how are, how are they working when you run? And I looked at him and I'm like, how would I know? <laughs> so I did not connect with it through running, but what I did connect with is one of the things that, that I love is, uh, uh, his references to DARPA, you know, the department of, uh, you know, advanced research, uh, something, something. Um, but you know, these are the guys who created the internet back in the day with Al Gore. Um, the, you know, they're talking about, you know, Many of the technologies they reference in the book are things that people are thinking about right now, things that uh, people are researching, plus other crazy things. Uh, and I am just fascinated by uh, by the Army's, you know, DARPA division. Um, you know, these are the guys who are, you know, who invented much of our drone technology that, that we're utilizing today. Um, so I, yeah, I'm fascinated by that. It's something that, that, that I, I really do enjoy. And I also enjoy, you know, his, his conversation in the back matter about, you know, him getting to, them getting to hear stories from guys in the CIA about those heroes that we never hear about, those people who have, whose service has protected this country, uh, but we're never going to hear about them because those stories are still top secret. You know, why they're telling some comic book writers about this, I don't know. Uh-huh. But, uh, but I, you know, those kinds of things, I just, you know, make me, make me feel good about our country and make me feel, yeah. you know, restore hope, <laughs> you know. The, the close... The close calls and the what ifs I thought were really cool. Yeah, what really got my attention in the uh, the essays though was the conversation about how this generation can basically pick and choose where they want to get their information from. Right. That because of the internet, they have yes. the they have options that previous generations didn't. And if they want to just sit in an echo chamber and never hear another point of view, that's an option now. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I, I, re- I really enjoyed that conversation, and that resonated with me. Yeah. Um, I I very much enjoyed the story of this book. I enjoyed the characters we got introduced to. And sadly, one of my favorite characters from the jump was the colonel who pilots the helicopter. And, you know, uh, spoilers, he winds up getting his uh, feet eaten off by one of these uh, <laughs> giant land-based, uh, you know, whale fish things. Um, because no foreign boots will touch this soil. Uh, I, I really dug this. The only thing I, I, I was thinking about, do I have any concerns or complaints about this book? And there is one page uh, that bothered me. And it was a big old splash page. And it's where, you know, they look out over the over the the cliff and they see, you know, the marauders or whatever coming their way. And they've got one of those big mobile cities you know, it's all very steampunky looking, and they got one of those yeah. big mobile cities. That this seems—I I can't remember the name of the something. Uh, Mortal engines is that what the, that movie's called? Something engines, yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. and it looked directly cribbed from that, and that I got to say that that really pulled me out of the book. But I got right back in. I got right back in because uh, I, I really did dig the characters, the world we're being introduced to, uh, the possibility of all these different uh, 
societies that we're going to get to wander through. I'm in. I, I'm hard in. But, you know, this book is, is enjoying a great deal of success. Uh, it's gone on to second printing. Uh, pre-orders alone was 85,000 uh, copies of this book. And everyone's touting it as a huge success. And I am amused that back in the day, a huge success was 400,000 copies at the first printing. Um, but yet, 85,000 is where we are today. Uh, I, I find that yeah. deeply concerning for this industry <laughs> that we've spent 10 years podcasting about. Yeah, I mean, if 85,000 people saw a movie or watched a TV show, yeah, that would be considered a huge bomb. Yeah, And I understand comics are a different medium, but, you know... And they, they, this they, is an independent book, not one of the big two. Yeah, but I get. I remember back in. I mean, even Image. I remember back in the '90s. If a book sold less than a million copies, it was on the chopping block pretty much immediately. You know, um, and I understand we're in a different time now, and that's eighty-five thousand print copies, not including digital. Um, you know, and all that stuff. So it's just a different world. Uh, you know, its success looks different, uh, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting. Um, it's a concerning yeah. aspect of the industry, like how much. Like that's a number one, right? That's a big. Right. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. with, with like, what, two powerhouse writers in, in in the industry. Yeah, like how many comics right now are being published and are only seeing ten thousand right in sales? You know, which is like wow, ten thousand. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not that's that's no bueno. <laughs> yeah, it's shocking, is what it is. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really curious about digital numbers. Yeah, you know, and I, is it, it, I don't think they publish yeah. those anywhere. Not anymore. Yeah, how many people? Because we're only reading digital at this point. How many other people are only digital for it? And I know a lot of people that read comics that only do digital at this point. So those are, I think, I don't know what the percentage looks like now. Yeah, and I don't know how they're getting paid. You know, like, how how is that? How do, I mean, not that I need to know. I just need to support and the, the books that I like and, and purchase them. And, you know, I know that's a dick thing to say but because, you know, you should be supporting your local comic store. But, you know, I, I don't feel the need to buy print versions of books just to, to to buy print which also seems like a bad decision um just to support a a, a store mm. when you know digital supports the the creators i'm assuming in the same manner you know yeah agreed yeah um, so paul i have to agree with you about, about the mad max look of the things i'm not a big fan of that i also didn't like the big giant moving city and the uh the animals, particularly all of the ocean animals, like land sharks and things, not a big fan of that unless they show us that they have legs or something. It's like, how are these ocean animals moving across the desert? Well, I've got to imagine they do have legs, right? Because uh, the United States has been walled off from the ocean. So maybe they are I'm, – I'm assuming we will find out. Yeah. Well, and it's – all of my favorite parts of this book were before they got to America. Hmm. Well, Undiscovered Country, issue number one, I think it's a strong entry, uh, lots of world building going on. Uh, I'm certainly in for number two. Sounds like you you guys are as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Deal. But you know what book I'm out on after issue two? <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. I, I am out on Ghost Rider. And, I, I, you know, it's it, – there's a number of reasons. And we talked about issue one. It's not like either one of us loved issue one. It wasn't a home run, but it was enough to, to bring us back for issue two. Um, and, and so issue two continues the story that, uh, you know, um, Johnny Blaze has been kind of tainted by his time as the king of hell. Um, it, it, you, you don't know. I mean, you kind of do know. Um, 
you know, it's hinted that he sees everyone as a demon now that he's on Earth and he's just killing innocent people. But you you know, like the book makes it clear that that's not actually what's happening. Um, but that's what Danny Ketch thinks is happening. So you have Ghost Rider versus Ghost Rider. And, you know, it, it's, again, it's not bad. Um, I will say that one of the things... That oh, no, up, I will go so far as to say it's bad. <laughs> well, one of the things that hooked me on the book was Aaron Cooter's art. I love Aaron Cooter. Ever since his... he um, I, I saw his work on Batman Incorporated after he took over from Frank Quitely. Um, but... You know, so that's what sold me on issue one. But issue two is Aaron Cooter with Craig Young, John Lucas, and Luciano Vecchio. Like, oh, oh, like it's issue two, and he already needs three other artists to assist him. Um, so you know that that immediately turned me off. And there are pages that are definitely inconsistent um, from the main art. Uh, yeah, and so I'm 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 out both. You know, be, because of the the art and the the story just. It's it's lame. It's just lame. Yeah. You know, it's I not again. I, well, Wayne of... says he didn't dislike. He he did actually disliked it. Go ahead. Yes, I am sick of whiny Danny Ketch. I don't like what they've done with the character at all. And Danny Ketch was my Ghost Rider. Uh, I don't like how they just toss him off of the bridge, where people would normally jump to commit suicide without any kind of uh, you know any kind of indication about that being. A, a deadly toss. Yeah, like uh, he jumps off of the top of the Brooklyn Bridge and falls in the water, and it's like, okay, that that actually kills people, you know. Um, it, you know, he wasn't dropped to his death. He's fine. He'll wake up in the next book and he'll be fine. But like, that kills people. It's not, you know, it, it's it's it, the 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 fall. So I, I just thought that was kind of silly. Yeah, and the uh, the fight between the Ghost Riders was. I expected that to be most of the book. But it's only like two pages and then done. Yeah, I guess it's more than two pages. But it wasn't. It was not an epic fight. It wasn't it so was, much a fight, right? It was yeah. like a disagreement with some chains flying around, and then one drove off. Yeah, and then once again, the my Ghost Rider Danny Catch is shown to be the punk Ghost Rider versus Johnny Blaze, which yeah, because he's not King right, of right. Like, kind of that's the thing. That, he's but. he's being manipulated, so. It's like it, it's you know it would be one thing if Danny Ketch was was in the right, but it shows that he's in the wrong. So you know it, it's and I think what'll happen after the end of the story is that Johnny Blaze will be the only Ghost Rider. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like it's it's just not great. It's not interesting to me. Yeah, it, the writing, the dialogue, the the art this time being questionable. Everything about this book was, was bad to me. I gave it a second issue because I, I wasn't happy with the first, but it's not getting a third for me. Yep. I am with you on that, Wayne. So one book down. Down. <laughs> well, uh, we had another great big first issue this week. Uh, Legion of Superheroes, the much anticipated uh, Legion of Superheroes first issue came out this week with uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis uh, writing this great big Legion of Superheroes book. This is the book that he apparently wanted to do. This was the book that uh, you know he he was super excited to come over to DC to do, and DC gave him over a year to get ready to do it. Uh, uh, pencils are by Ryan Sook with colors by uh, Wade Von Graubadger. Um I think it's a gorgeous book, but at Paul, I'm, I, I know that you are not a Legion enthusiast. 
Uh, so I'm real curious to see how you uh, responded to issue one of Legion of Superheroes. I hated it. Did you really? I know you enjoyed it because you told me you enjoyed it. Spoiler uh-huh. warnings. I hated this book. <laughs> um, it, it was too too busy, too busy for me. Like uh-huh. I was, I was just like, this is everything I don't like about Legion of Superheroes. Um, and, and Connor even says something about it in the book. He's like, there's so many of you. I'm used to a smaller team. So it's great that you have, you know, basically name tags. But we can't see the name tags. Connor can see them, but I can't. So I still don't know who the fuck anybody is. Um, and there's like, there's just so much on every single page. And, you know, and it's cluttered with Bendis dialogue and art and, you know, in, in, interesting graphic design. So the art itself is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. You know, Ryan Sook is doing his best his best Jeff Darrow impression by filling the pages with every single detail he can. Um, but, wow, it just – it is so – every page is so busy. And the story doesn't take any time to breathe um, or really acclimate you to this world. I, I genuinely did not care for this book, Aaron. Wow, I love this book. Huh. Um, and one of the things that I was really impressed by, uh, because, you know, I, I share your concern around Legion of Superheroes. I usually can't figure out what the hell's going on because there's so damn many uh, characters. And, you know, that none of them get enough screen time for you to really go, what the hell's going on? But you've got, you know, John, Superboy, being your point of view character and seeing everything for the first time and introducing us all to this new uh, band of Legion of Superheroes. Um, and, you know, it's also beautifully drawn. Uh, I'm really enjoying the Ryan Sook artwork. Um, but, you know, I, I, I got a kick out of, you know, just sort of this running dialogue between Jonathan and Saturn Girl. And by the way, is it just me or is Superboy going to have so much sex with Saturn Girl? Because I get that impression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked this book a lot. I, I really only have one complaint about the book. Uh, the uh, Actually, I'm going to amend that. I have two complaints about the book. One is that character Rose that, you know... That they spent two full millennial millennium issues on, and then she's only in one panel of this book? She's in one panel, and they do that, that uh, soap opera thing, right? Where, hey, I need to talk to you. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't talk now. I've got to go do this other thing. Right? Yeah. And I got to tell you, that kind of writing irritates the living shit out of me. I can't stand that artificial delay of that connection. If you've got that character queued up, don't make me go, God damn it, you know, Jonathan, you, you had somebody who wanted to talk to you, right? I, that irritates me. I think it's cheap. I think it's. I, I think Brian Michael Bendis is a better writer than that, and he, he just made a, a, a cheap, gimmicky sort of moment. Even though it's one panel, it annoyed the hell out of me. But the other thing that I, th- I thought was really weird is that, you know, it's kind of a, a race to the end of the book, you know, when we get to the United Planets homeworld, and it's almost like they forgot a panel. Yeah, because, it just ends. Like, oh. Yeah, it just ends. I mean, it just ends on on the uh i guess that's the president who doesn't get an opportunity to comment or you know chooses not to comment and it just ends on her sour face to be continued and i'm like this is so weird i mean i was like really that's it yeah that, i mean like, i was like it says to be continued but surely there's something more no. i mean the action kept ratcheting and ratcheting and ratcheting up and and then it just it just ends. And, you know, it, it, there's a part of it that reminds me of what uh, Robert Kirkman does on the Walking Dead books, because he doesn't retell you what happened in the last book. 
you know, he his book his books are kind of chapters, right? Yeah. And so when you assemble it all into a graphic novel, they don't have to pull out the previously on 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 Walking Dead. It all fits together as one complete story, and you really have a hard time discerning where one issue of the comic ended and another issue of the comic began because that's how they do it. It almost felt like that, except Kirkman does it better. You know, yeah. Kirkman Kirkman picks that right moment in the action to end the comic. Uh, you know, to end that floppy, that one issue before you start up the second one. This one just, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's like a movie edited for television, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's that, with that weird, you know, we're going to go ahead and, uh, stop the action in the middle of this chase scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're going to come really to a commercial weird. break in the middle of a conversation. You know, yeah. like that's what it, that's basically what happened here. It was very, very unusual. And that's a part of my problem with it was the pacing of it, right? The pacing yeah. felt like, just so, so skyrocketing busy, no time to get acclimated, um, which I don't, you know, I, I don't get me wrong. I like an action packed first issue, but this one just felt like it just, I don't know, like it just didn't connect with me. It was just a bunch of words on a page without any real emotion or um, for me, like uh, investment. So, you know, I don't know that I'm going to give it a second issue. Uh, maybe I'll wait and see how folks feel about the second issue but right now it 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 didn't it was already in an uphill battle for me and um you know it it just kind of for me confirmed man i'm still not a legion fan well let me ask you a a couple of questions about the book Uh um so one of the things that that i assume is controversial particularly amongst legion fans I i i haven't read any articles about this but i assume it's controversial um is that they have changed the ethnic status of a number of particularly the main characters like uh, lightning lad lightning lad you know mm-hmm. uh, comes to mind um did that have any impact on you no because i don't have really any connection to the existing legion right i mean don't get me wrong i actually enjoyed the legion of superheroes cartoon but uh-huh. the ethnicity you know for me like that's not at all a qualm it's not so much the it's not so much that it is it is the sheer volume of characters right um that for me, are ninety percent of them are throwaway, right? So you know, I, I I assume you know if you're a great big Lightning Lad fan, you know from from years before, like maybe the Jim Shooter era of uh, Legion of Superheroes, that might really chap your hide. Yeah, uh, I would think so. Yeah, uh, yeah, and not because you know you're you know anti uh, you know African American or you know anti ethnicity, but they've changed your character. You know, we we don't like we didn't like that they aged up John. So well, fair, you know, the, fair. You know, so uh, you know, not that it is a you know a a, a condemnation of uh, you know the the a minority taking on that role. I think that it is for me. It would be if I had this argument. If I if I was concerned about it, uh, it would be hey, just make a new character. Don't mm-hmm. change the character that I've loved for years and years. Just make a new character. Um, and I, I assume that's probably frustrating a, a number of folks. Um, one of the things that they that they show in the story is you know Earth is not at all what Earth was before. Uh, they have had to, you know, in, in, in the 30th century or where, whenever we are in this, uh, they have to save the Earth. And so you've got Earth, various chunks of Earth under domes, a la Xandar from the Marvel comics. Um, and, you know, this is, this is very shocking to John 
Um, and, you know, the Legion, of course, he says, hey, yeah, we saved Earth. And John doesn't see it as that at all. In fact, John's freaked out that because essentially they're in a bottle city. And, uh, you know, that's 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 a hard thing for his people, the Kryptonians, uh, to deal with. But uh, I, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it, Paul. I really did. And I'm sorry you're not in it with me for issue two. So yeah. it sounds like I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, soliloquying on, uh, you know, Legion in the future on the show. Yeah, exactly. About one book that I did enjoy. So I read three Bendis books this week. And, and even though the two we're talking about are not my favorite, I, I genuinely enjoyed Batman Universe um, this week, issue five. Um, and my second favorite, which I, I actually quite enjoyed, was Young Justice number 10. I, I picked up um, on a recommendation from Aaron, even though he hadn't read it yet, but he had an interest in it. And his interest in it was that there was a big focus on Ginny Hex. Uh, featuring art by Nick Darrington. And if you read the book, if, you know, the Ginny Hex portion of it very much ties in with the story that Bendis wrote in Batman Universe. So yeah. it was nice seeing that um, even though you could read them independently of each other, it was nice seeing that connection uh, just, you know, from from a, a broad standpoint. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I know exactly what's happening here. It's just kind of cool. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, it, I, I, it's funny because I still feel like there's – even in this book, I'm like, there's too many people on the team, but I think it's just because two of the characters I'm really not familiar with. And I haven't really been reading the book, um, but Amethyst um, and Teen Lantern are on the, the the book on the team. And I'm just not familiar with those characters. Again, I read issue one and issue 10. So, um, but the rest of the characters are Wonder Girl, Impulse, Superboy, um, and it's um, Connor Kent. Yeah. Uh, well, and Drake. don't forget guest starring Stephanie Brown as Batwoman. Yes, Stephanie Brown, Batwoman, is from an She's alternate timeline. Interesting, because I knew she was in the book. I didn't know she was a Batwoman, though. Well, yeah, it's so alternate Earth, uh, Stephanie Brown. Yeah. Um, so you know, in this book, we've got, and we haven't. I haven't been reading this multiverse story because they've they've hopped to another um, universe where, like we said, Stephanie Brown has taken on the mantle of Batwoman. Um, but one thing that that happened in a previous issue that um, is shown in this issue again is that Robin has changed his name uh, to Drake. Um, that's his, his superhero name. Uh, Drake is also a bird. So I guess he, he's, <laughs> he, he went with it. Um, and, you know, a lot of people had qualms about the costume and that kind of thing. And I got to say, I like it. Like it yeah. looks fine. Like there, I, yeah. I have zero qualms about it. I, I, you know, it's 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 better than the Red Robin costume. So I actually have zero, no problems <laughs> with it. Yeah. No, I would agree. I would agree. I uh, I got to tell you, I did. I read the first issue of Young Justice when it came out, and strong did not care for it. Yeah. And I loved this book. Um, I, this is a Young Justice book. This is what I want from a Young Justice book. Yeah. Um, the Jenny Heck stuff by Nick Dar- with uh, you know illustration by Nick Darrington is off the hook awesome. Yeah. I mean, I just I mean, I need a Jenny Hex book drawn by Nick Darrington every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I really enjoyed those pages more so than I enjoyed the other pages, but I enjoyed those too. Um, I, I this book just felt right. Um, and mm-hmm. you know one of the one of the things that led me to pick this book up is that we know in uh, I think December, um, uh, Warlord, uh, the that, that old Mike Grell character. Oh, that I love that book. 
God, I love Warlord. <laughs> and uh, that that character is going to show up in the pages of this book. You know, the Young Justice team seems to be doing a lot of, you know, reality setting hopping. And uh, I think that they're visiting some areas of the DC universe that haven't been seen in a while. And I am super excited to see Warlord in a comic book page because uh, yeah, I, I effing love yeah. that character. You guys have really sold me on the book to the point that I just bought it now. Uh, just hearing... I love the Jenny Hex stuff from the beginning. It's just yeah. that first storyline was so bad. Yeah. Well, and well, this is actually issue part I didn't four. come back to it. Yeah. You know, this is actually part four of that, of the multiverse story, but I had no no problem. You know, it, yeah, it very I much... I walked right in. Yeah, it very much explains what happens on the first page, and I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm all caught up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so extremely well written, uh, fun. No uh, issues with Naomi. You know, so Naomi only pops up on the last page, so I don't know that I have any issues yet. <laughs> yeah, She's on the cover same. and on the last page. Yeah. Um, now my issue is that now the team has eight people on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I, you know, I, I did quite enjoy this book. It's very different from the Young Justice, obviously, that we're used to from the cartoons, but more in line with the Young Justice that we, you know, got. In uh, in the two thousands with those uh, with that great comic series, so I, I'm enjoying it, um, and it's great to see Connor Kent back and talking and acting like Connor Kent. Uh, so fun book, really, yeah, just a, a fun book, and that's that's something that that yeah, you know you don't get too often nowadays. Just a, a straight book that's not worried about about preaching or about making you leaving you with a lasting emotional impact or, or making you think too hard. Like, it's just a fun book. Like, okay, they're traveling through the multiverse. They travel to earth three where, you know, the, um, what's the name of that? Where Ultraman and his band of folks oh, come from. Yeah. Uh, the crime syndicate. Yeah. The crime syndicate, you know, and they're, and they're dealing with the young justice from that time, from that multi, from that earth. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I b- big thumbs up. I think Young Justice for me is is a big winner this week. I read a lot of really good books. I read a lot of good books this week that that we didn't have time to talk about today, uh, including Doctor Doom, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the, the Superman uh, Up in the Sky, and Batman Universe. Uh, all really excellent books that I was just you know thoroughly entertained by. Yeah. Nick Darrington is a treasure. Yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. Na- he did Young Justice Na- and Bat- National Treasure. Yeah, and Batman Universe. That dude is just off off the chain. I, I you know I hope they continue. That he needs to hold on to him and find a way to put him on a high profile project in the near future. Agreed. So next week, comic stores. A um, couple of a, a, a number of releases next week, uh, including the Dollhouse Family, which is the second book from uh, the Joe Hill Hill House pop up imprint. Uh, this one's uh, co written with Mike Carey. Um, art by Peter Gross and Dan McCade. Uh, so um, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, we also get the conclusion of Event Leviathan. Issue 6 reveals the man behind the mask. I may not care by this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm ready for that storyline to wrap up as well. I mean, I, I enjoyed it when it first started, and it's not bad. I'm just – I'm ready for it to wrap up. Yeah. Um, new issue of Superman, issue 17 – comes out, which I, I believe is the lead-in to the truth, where he reveals his, uh, you know, his uh, secret identity to the world. Um, and there's an interesting book that's been advertised in all the DC books this week called Far Sector. Yeah, that looks hot. Coming from uh, Young Animal, which is the imprint by um, 
the dude from My Chemical Romance, unfortunately. Yeah, and I've not, I've not been wild about the young animal books. You know, he's doing Doom Patrol and uh, Shade, the Changing Girl. Yeah. Uh, I, and I've, I've yeah. not been wild about those books, but I am super interested in his take on a Green Lantern. Yeah. Yeah. They, I love that idea too of, you know, a Green Lantern that isn't tied to any of the other Green Lantern storylines. Uh-huh. It is really fascinating. I, I plan on picking it up. Yeah, yep, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, the, the and the art that they used to illustrate, you know, for the the for the advertising, it's beautiful. So looks um, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna give that first issue a try. Um, yep. From Marvel Comics, we get the second issue of X Men. Uh, from Jonathan Hickman and Lineal Francis Yu. Uh, so maybe we'll finally get that Cyclops, Wolverine, Jean Grey threesome that we hinted in the first issue. Um, <laughs> there's a new ongoing series, and I use the word ongoing in quotes because, seriously, it's probably not going to last that long, of Morbius, the Living Vampire. Um, when did the first issue come out? It comes out next week. Oh, okay. I, I, I thought I thought that this was the second issue. No, no. The, so sorry, cool. The first issue. I'll, I'll check that out. I've always loved Morbius. Yeah, me too. But it's written by Vita Ayala with art by Marce- Marcelo Ferreira. Um, no idea. Uh, so we'll see. I'll look at the first issue and see how it looks. Exactly. And uh, finally, for those of you who held off on purchasing it or at least dropped out, um, you know, halfway into the storyline like me, Savage Avengers Volume 1, City of Sickles, comes out, um, collecting the first five issues and the free comic book day issue of Savage Avengers for the low, low price of $8.99. Keep in mind, not bad. those were four ninety nine issues. Yeah, that's so, that not bad at all. Yeah, so that that is cheaper than the price of buying two issues. Uh-huh. Yeah, so great price. Which is... A little maddening. <laughs> a little bit, because, yeah. I mean, it it's really hasn't been that long since issue five came out. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the, the next issue to be published is actually issue seven mm-hmm. um, or eight. So it really hasn't been that long. Yeah. Um, but the big news next week is that this coming Tuesday, November 12th at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or thereabouts, Disney Plus will be launching. With first with the first episode of The Mandalorian, as well as full series of classic TV shows like DuckTales and the X-Men animated show and Spider-Man and and all the Marvel, pretty much every Marvel animated series ever um, is going to be on the show at launch. Think not just Spider-Man and, and X-Men, but also that 90s Fantastic Four and Hulk and Iron Man cartoons and all sorts of cool stuff. So, uh, Paul, I'm, I know that you're going to be a day and date guy, uh, Wayne. I have already pre-ordered, bought it. Yeah. Uh, but it all depends in when does the uh, PlayStation drop. Same day. So uh, they, they, they they did say they they signed a uh, you know that the deal is it will be releasing on all the on the PlayStation, Amazon um, platforms. Like it's pretty much everywhere. You know, okay. uh, will, depending on how performance is on the first day because <laughs> i have a strong feeling it's going to be uh, hit by a lot of people and yeah. not going to be streaming as well as it should but i plan on watching some of the spider-man stuff day we'll it releases. hope it's a better we'll hope it's a better launch than uh, cbs all access yeah oh. uh you know i don't know if i'm gonna have it day and date because they haven't announced the they haven't listed a site where you can do the hulu bundle yet and that's, yeah, that's, that's the deal I'm looking for. Well, one of the things that intrigued me about it is um, one of the things I did is that if you have a Verizon Unlimited plan, 
you get a free year of Disney Plus, which I did not have a Verizon Unlimited plan. So let me let me just give you a brief story. Um, I signed up for three years of Disney Plus at, when I was at the D23 Expo. Um, yeah, that was the deal they offered there. I did it because um, it was like less than four dollars a month to do it for three years. It was like one hundred and twenty bucks for three years. And I'm like, OK. But then they announced, well, if you're a Verizon Unlimited member, you know, um, you can get a free year of it. And I'm like, well, shit. I'm like, well, that would have been nice to know. But then I read and it's like, well, but if you've already signed up for the three years, guess what? You get the free year and the three years kick in after that. So basically you would have already prepaid for four years of it. And so I upgraded my Verizon plan to unlimited. It only cost a couple of extra dollars a month. And with it, I got free Apple TV. I got free Apple Music and now the free year of Disney Plus. So, um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm fully on board and I'm, I'm hoping – server depending that i will be yeah. watching mandalorian um I, I will actually be out of town for work this week i'll be in las vegas and uh you know so it'll be at 6 a.m vegas time that it drops and I, I am hoping to see it not long thereafter very good well hey uh we want to hear what you think about the mandalorian and disney plus the week's comics and the books that we didn't even get to so give us a call at 972-763-5903 that number once again 972 972- 763-5903 and if we use your voicemail on the show you'll win a coveted valuable ideology of madness surprise and you can also hit us up on our social media platforms ION geek on facebook and instagram at ideology madness on twitter all right guys we'll see you next week catch you later podcast theme music graciously provided by mark andrew pope for more information visit markandrewpope.com funny books with aaron and polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com no Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 